This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined as I am each week by the one and only member of the Glory Kickboxing Hall of Fame. He is the Bazooka Joe Valtellini, and we've got a lot of Canadians on this week's card. It's almost like this yeah. card should have been in Canada, but of course, we know that's not a possibility at this point in time. Yeah, I'm actually uh, upset you didn't let me know that I had to dress up today. And I know people can't see us, but you're in a nice suit, and I'm here sweating and in a crappy-looking T-shirt here. Well, I'm in the basement, so I'm hardly sweating uh, in the suit. But, uh, yeah, I just interviewed uh, Robert Whitaker. It was a great right. interview. I really loved speaking with that guy. Um, he's just – the thing about Robert Whitaker is he doesn't give you the longest answers and the most thought-out answers, but he gives you very honest answers, which is – you know, that's all I can ask for as somebody who's, who's interviewing. He's very forthright with how he feels. Yeah. What are some uh, – ruin it but what was something that popped up that uh from Whitaker well this is hardly gonna ruin it it's just gonna promote it but uh okay yeah it, you know he was just I, I asked him a lot about his mentality going into the fight with Israel the first fight with Israel you know why why it was that way and you know every interview I'm, I've watched with him is people bring up a quote that he had um he spoke to MMA junkie to Farah Hanoon and said that his he felt like his ego got in the way when it came to the first fight with Israel and everybody was asking, we're so confused. They're like, you're such a humble guy. How did your ego get in the way? And I was thinking, people are having trouble recognizing the difference between having an ego and being egotistical. Like, he didn't say, yeah. I was egotistical. I was approaching it egotistically. He just said that his ego got in the way of him having his optimal performance. And we all have an ego. It's just not, yeah. not everybody's egotistical. And he said, you know, I'm really glad you brought that up because people keep asking me about this. And they keep saying, I'm, I'm this humble guy. It doesn't mean I don't have an ego. Everybody does. Yeah. Yeah, but you kind of side of the ring. But I think if you're good, which Robert Whitaker definitely is, you if somebody hits you, your ego should take over and be like, oh, I'm going to hit you twice as hard now. I'm going to hit you even harder. I'm going to. So I mean, you'll notice that in other people, and that's one of the things that you have to control as you get more advanced in fighting. I remember getting hit in my early pro career. I'd get so mad that I would get so aggressive after. I'm like, that was my ego. And then at the end, I was like, hey, I got to put this in check as I got more advanced because then you make stupid mistakes, you know. But uh, yeah, good point on Whitaker. And I mean, I think a lot of people. Um, Think it's a bad thing to have an ego. Nah, I think it's a good positive thing. You're in a you're in a fist fight with someone. You need that ego and confidence. Yeah, but I think it's also important to be able to control it, like you mentioned. Like having having control over your ego, I think, is what Robert Whitaker's focused a lot on. And I mentioned to him also that uh, after the Israel fight, he's landed six takedowns, which is more than he had in like the entirety of his UFC career prior to that. And I said, you know, is that by design or you're working on that more? He goes, well. It was more about just showing my tools in the cage. He goes, I've always had that. And I said, like, was, were things just working for you without it? And that's why you didn't really use it that much. And he was like, yeah, basically. Like, I, I, he was able to win fights without having to use it. So now he kind of wanted to prove to himself that it could actually be a weapon that would make it even easier for him to win fights. Yeah, and I think against Izzy, he's going to have to do some of that. I think him just even fainting these level changes and getting Israel thinking of shooting and then using his explosiveness, I think he kind of has to play with those level changes, so that's probably in his game plan. Yeah, he's got to recognize that as well. Like I, I think that he, he keeps mentioning that the Jan Bojovic fight showed him a lot of things, but he also said, like, don't you, do you think don't you think everybody wants to take Israel down? Like don't you think everybody's game plan going into the fight is yeah. he, he goes he's hard to take down. He's long. He's you know, he's good at stopping takedowns. He's you know, he goes if it was that easy to take Israel down, he wouldn't be the champion. 
Yeah, I mean, I just think what uh, Whitaker made the mistake last time is he kind of against an elite striker like uh, Israel Adesanya, you can't just jump in like that. You know, you kind of have to. It's called entering a little bit more safer. He needs more safer entries, you know, maybe faint a little bit more, which he's good at. But Israel's good, too. He's going to catch you coming in. So maybe chopping away at the legs and mixing his enters to try to get in safer is the plan. But I'm hyped for that fight. I think we're going to see a more patient Whitaker, I think, and that's going to make it a more interesting fight. Yeah, and Whitaker was having a lot of success in that first fight. People forget until he got knocked down at the end of the first round. He was winning that round. So I think that he understands what he needs to do and it's just a matter of being able to implement the game plan and to see how much israel has actually you know improved from camp to camp because it seems like israel gets better and better and better with every fight yeah i mean i just that confidence that izzy has now i mean speaking about ego like i got that big confidence in and outside of the ring and that's going to be very tough you got to break his will somehow and it's it's tough and I think Israel kind of comes across as egotistical, but when you actually sit and talk to the guy, he's very, like, very down-to-earth and very thoughtful. Like, very, yeah. you know, he he's another guy that I like to interview because he, he you can kind of see the wheels moving. Yeah. He, yeah. He's not programmed. He, he doesn't have, like, token answers in his back pocket. He, he just kind of rolls with his train of thought, and that's kind of how he fights, too, right? Like, he's very fluid out there. He doesn't seem to have, like, a set game plan. Yeah, I mean that's that's what good fighting is. I mean, if they, I, I hate when fighters come in with such set game plans. It's like the ability to adapt is what fighting is. I mean, things change, things happen. So, I mean, that's why I always said Israel is going to be one of the toughest to beat based on his what 80 professional kickboxing fights before going to the UFC. Like that all helps um, in that confidence. Would you say that is accurate? This, that when I say that Israel is more of a strategy guy than a game plan guy. Like, instead of saying, I'm going to do this, this, and this, he's like, if this happens, this is what I will do. If this happens, he's more of a reactive fighter. Yeah, I would definitely say so. I mean, if you look at any great fighter, I mean, they play it out. They come in in that first round. It's like, okay, is this guy aggressive? I think, okay, let me rephrase that. I think Israel has an understanding of what's going to happen. Before you go in, you know if a guy's a pressure uh, versus like an evasive fighter. And, th and then from there, that's kind of how a good fighter will plan his strategy. So if this guy is going to run around, they're going to probably study tracking and, and keeping in front of them. But if this guy's a pressure guy, like most people have to be against Adesanya, that's when he just gets to dance around, switch his stances, try to catch you coming in. So I think it's based on the movement of his opponents. I think that's why the Yoel Romero fight was so frustrating for him is he knew that Romero was going to rely on counters. So he just kind of didn't throw a lot because he knew that the counters were one of Romero's best tools. And then it just resulted in kind of a stalemate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think still there could have been a little bit more probing and maybe um, not committing to strikes. But I mean, I play it's called playing the game of counter the counter. That's how you play a big power striker, which he does. Right. He uses his feints to get someone to react and then he reacts back. That's where I think Israel does very well. All right. Let's take this conversation, put it in a Ziploc bag, put it in the fridge yep. and revisit it next week. All right. <laughs> Not in the freezer, just in the fridge. Though. Just in the fridge, yeah. We, don't we let it freeze. Need, we we need need to who knows out. when our next podcast is going to be? It could be like on, we That's could tape it. it next Tuesday or Wednesday. And then, it, you know, it doesn't need a full, a full week in the fridge. You could do okay in a Ziploc bag. There you go. Let's talk about Jack Hermanson taking on Sean Strickland, the main event of this weekend's UFC Fight Night card, because I think this is a really interesting fight. And when I saw the line on this one, I was really surprised that Jack Hermanson was this big of an underdog. Yeah. What did you think the odds should have been? Because right now, Strickland's old two-to-one favorite. I, I would think it would be more Strickland minus 135, Strickland minus 140. What did it open at? Let me take a look at that, because that's important, because the line could have just moved towards Strickland because of people betting him. So I'm just going to pop that up and see where the line's actually moved. 
I can probably just click on this. Uh, I mean, see. with Strickland's you know win streak, the way he's been doing it, and see why he's a favorite. That you know, good chance he's gonna win, but definitely two to one against Hermanson. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Open at minus one seventy five, so it, it's not hasn't moved that much, but it's still moved fifty cents. Um, yeah, you know, it's an interesting bout because here's the thing that stands out to me. I think that Hermanson's fought the better competition. So yeah. if you're looking at the fact that Strickland is four and zero since moving to middleweight, that's all well and good. But he's only had to stuff one takedown attempt since he's moved back to middleweight. So that's a method of attack that Jack Hermanson is definitely going to try to utilize against uh, Sean Strickland. But then on the flip side of that, Sean Strickland hasn't lost a single round since he moved to middleweight, right? You yeah, know? yeah. So you got to look at the fact that he's been so dominant since coming back uh, to the middleweight division. And now Jack Hermanson is ranked above him. But I think that Jack Hermanson just has more ways to win this fight. And that's the way I look at it. Like, if it gets to the ground, I think Hermanson is going to be able to look for subs or utilize a ground and pound attack. I think he's going to be the bigger fighter of the two. I guess we'll have to see. You know, I think a lot of people think that Sean Strickland's bigger than he is, but people have to remember he moved up from 170. He's not one of the bigger middleweights in the division. Yeah, and and what's crazy, and I think a lot of people forget, is before Strawn moved up to uh, middleweight, he was basically in a, in a is it a motorcycle accident where his yeah, leg was really almost bad. like completely mm-hmm. shattered. So for him to come back and possibly never fight again, you know, to like I remember seeing some of the images. I'm like, there's no way this guy's back from fighting uh, to fighting. And next thing you know, he's on this win streak and doing it. I just think. He, Anyone with his pressure is going to have a hard time taking him down. And once you have a hard time taking him down, he's just in your face. But Hermanson's one breaker, but I think the pressure is going to be the problem. So I think Hermanson has to get this into a grappling exchange somehow. But Hermanson's also kind of a pressure fighter. Like, he, he also throws a lot of volume, and he's used to the pressure. So, yeah. again, I just think yeah. that the odds are a little bit off for this. I think the Hermanson inside the distance, I think it's at plus 400 now. I think that's just a really solid play if you're going to make it. I mean, Hermanson's finishing rate is something like 80-something percent. Yeah, it's exciting. I think that's why we're so intrigued by it. I mean, I think both of these guys uh, at the end of the day will just leave it in there regardless. So well, I got to say, if Strickland gets a win here, you've really got to start considering him uh, for a title shot in the near future. And I think that stylistically he matches up really well against anybody in the top of this division. Yeah, I I was thinking about that too when when he was kind of saying that that he's looking with a good win title shot. I thought it was kind of crazy, but then once you start thinking about it, it's not that far off for him. I mean, I think his style of not really caring and pressuring and coming forward will give you know Adesanya some problems. Uh, like uh, that's uh, that's a real answer of uh, good pressure, good cage control, not scared to get hit. I think that's a nightmare for Izzy as well. Well, it would be a nightmare for the UFC to have this guy's champion because if you watch his press conferences, he says all kinds of wacky stuff. And yeah, he basically actually. was saying, like, the UFC, you know, they don't get me in trouble anymore because I'm good. So I can say what I want now. It's like, yeah, it's like, hey, I'm like Conor McGregor. I can I can start throwing things and I yeah. can start getting it. I was like, wow. I was like, all right. That's yeah, the, let's see. That's, that's where you're putting yourself. But uh, it's kind of in a weird way. It's working for him. I mean, he's gaining popularity. He's gaining fans. No, I think he's losing. Um, he's getting big too. fights. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some certain types of fans for sure. But uh, he's being himself. I mean, he's giving everyone a real look at his life, and it's uh, it's interesting to say the he's least. Certainly unpredictable. That's for, I mean, you've told yeah. me the stories about him. This was like before oh, he yeah. kind of let himself go a little bit and and be more of himself in in uh, the public. Just the kind of guy he is. It's uh, yeah. You, you kind of you kind of opened that window for me to to see what this guy's like yeah. behind the scenes. Yeah, but it's not only that. Uh, I. 
that trip where I got to meet Strickland, it's like I got to spar him. I mean, again, I mentioned that I just did five rounds with Chad Lepre. I'm out of shape. I'm in Vegas eating like crap. I'm basically staying out. So I ended up sparring him exhausted, and I felt his pressure. I mean, I usually when I spar, like usually bigger, more advanced guys, it's not a problem, but I felt it. I mean, it could be the tired, could be the eating, but – I mean, at the end of the day, I knew how good his pressure is. And that's why when I see all these guys he's against, I'm like, man, I, I think he's going to give most guys problems. When he asked you to spar, did he know who you were or was he just trying to find someone to spar with? Oh, yeah. No, no, okay. no. He was. Uh, he trains with Raymond Daniels. <laughs> okay. So since I beat Raymond Daniels, he's always been a big fan. He actually goes around Vegas. Like even when I was at um, Syndicate, people were coming up to me. He's like, oh, you're the guy Sean Strickland keeps talking about referencing his videos and watch this video. And so Strickland always uh, promotes my videos around the gyms in Vegas. Okay. So that's nice of him. And now he's, uh, he's over at Extreme Couture now with Coach Eric Nixick, who's uh, coming off a pretty solid uh, main yeah. event of his own in the, the last UFC fight card. Yeah, I mean, I think he's just uh, bounces between the two. But, I mean, people still let him in. I don't know. Like, if I was a coach, I don't know if I'd want Sean's training with my guys, seeing the fights and the – wars he gets into i was like yeah maybe you don't want to come train this week with me today sean you know it's it's uh it's insane but uh yeah that's his personality he's winning and uh he's top 10 in the world now Do you think that sparring that much could have an impact on how well you perform on fight night because you're just so used to being in there with someone else that like it all kind of melds in together i i just i think sparring is important i I, do, I don't like when people say and i know max holloway says it but uh, i guarantee you max holloway still spars you need to get your timing. You're not killing each other in the head, but I mean, I retired from concussions and I still spar on a regular basis. It's just nobody hits me in the head. Um, they can try, but you, you you play a different game. You play a different style. There's timing drills, so you have to kind of play those little bit of games. So, but that crazy hard head trauma sparring—that's a little too much on a regular basis. And you think that's what he does, basically? I don't know. The videos we see, it looks like it. I mean, he'll, but he doesn't. He'll go with heavyweights. He'll go with lightweights. And I don't know. I don't think it's uh, as bad. I think just people aren't used to that type of hard, hard sparring from him. But uh, I don't like that the big shots they give in the small gloves. That kind of weird to me. But if they had big gloves on, I don't know. I think it's half and half for Strickland. I'm going to go 50 50. I like it, but a little too much. Well, the closer we've gotten to this card, the more excited I've gotten about this main event. I think that we're going to see something. Uh, pretty special, I think, in this main event. I, I really like the stylistic matchup. And I think in terms of the stylistic matchup for Strickland right now, that Hermanson might be the toughest one. Yeah. Have you, did you talk to Hermanson leading up to this? I did. I spoke to him a couple days ago. Actually, it was a couple, probably yesterday, actually. I, no, it was Tuesday. It was a couple days ago. I spoke to him a few yeah. days ago. And, uh, yeah, it seems like he's ready to go. He has a smile on his face. He's excited. He's talked about um, his game plan a little bit, what he wants to do with Strickland, how he's going to definitely at least try to take the guy down. So we'll see. It just seems like a big, friendly guy. He does. So that's kind of why they call him the Joker. Is that? I asked I him mean... what the best prank he ever pulled was. He said he once snuck into his buddy's apartment and then, uh, like, hid somewhere for hours until the guy fell asleep. And then he got into bed with the guy and freaked him out. And yeah. I woke up and Jack Hermanson was next to him. <laughs> a two-hour prank? It was probably even longer. Been a I mean, brutal. It would have been in the morning. I mean, that's a pretty involved prank. Yeah, that's uh, it's too long for me. That's why he's uh, earned that Joker moniker, but. Yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting guy. I think that uh, he's somebody that is kind of underrated in the middleweight division. Whereas it's kind of one of those things where Strickland is the more has the more hype behind him. But if you look yeah. at Hermanson's last win in 2021, it was against Edmund Shabazian, and I think that Edmund Shabazian is a better opponent than anybody that Sean Strickland has fought so far. Yeah, I mean Shabazian is very good, tall, good striker, good length. 
Yeah, it's tough. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. And the more I think about it, I mean, that line doesn't uh, sit really well. But uh, that's it. That's what fighting is. Prove it. Well, let's see. This is Hermanson's run. So we're talking about Jacques Array in 2019, who he won, beat by decision, even though he was a, a pretty big underdog. He, mm-hmm. he lost to Cannoneer in the second round uh, when they fought, and he was a pretty big favorite in that fight. Him and Kelvin Gastelum, even money. Hermanson got a quick sub on him in the first round. Uh, yep, then he lost, to, that one. Yeah, he lost to Marvin Vittori by decision at the end of 2020. And then uh, last year, he beat Edmund Shabazian. was a, was, a, again, a kind of a small favorite. He beats Edmund Shabazian. And now, like, if you look at all of those names, they're all better than the guys that Sean Strickland has beaten on this win streak, in my opinion. Yeah, it just seems like from that list you gave me, Hermans is just having problem with those top five guys. But everyone else under, underneath, he seems to be doing well. Yeah, well, not really, though, because he beat Jacare. He beat Gastelum. Like, those guys are top five caliber guys, are they not? Yeah, true. It's kind of been kind of hit or miss for him, that's all. And who was his losses again recently? Uh, Vittori. You said Candonier, right? Vittori, Candonier, and that's it. Okay, yeah, those are, okay. So he's, he's yeah. um, rotated wins and losses, and that's what will prevent you from getting a title fight. But then you look at Strickland's fights, Uriah Hall, Brendan Allen, Jack Marshman. I guess it's just yeah. those three, unless I'm forgetting one. But, oh, sorry, what's this other one? Jotko and Christoph Jotko. And he's not getting finishes either. They're more grinding decisions, if yeah. I'm right. Yeah, he has gotten one. I think he did get one finish in those fights. But, yeah, either way, I think that uh, they're pretty close. Uh, well, not really pretty close because he hasn't lost a round, but they're pretty dominant wins regardless. Yeah, but definitely right. The big competition goes to Hermanson. One guy to look out for on this card, Shavkat Rachmanov. Are you familiar with that name? Uh, no, but I liked how you added the ha in it, which was nice. He's from Kazakhstan. No, there's no ha no in, in Kazakhstan. It's Kazakhstan. <laughs> Kazakhstan. So I guess it's Rachmanov. It's probably not even Rachmanov, but it might be. Um, he's, uh, you know, managed by Sayat, Dan, Danny Rubenstein's, uh, who works with Danny Rubenstein. Yeah, I saw his name because uh, I follow me. I actually yeah. trained in Ruby's Ruby day. No, oh, did you? I have one of his. Yeah, I trained in it. Well, it's a valuable souvenir. You should hang on to it. That's it. One, I, of, one of his actual shirts. Paper, I'm surprised you fit into it. No, it's not his actual. No, I, I know. One, but I'm, his brand. I'm just playing with you. I'm, and they're I'm nice. Just they're just like nice root of fights too. Yeah. Nice That's right. I actually sweet. complimented him. I saw him once, and he uh, he had one of the uh, the Ruby the baseball type shirts on, and I said, "Who made those? Those are really good design." He was like, "The roots of fights made them." Made them. Yeah. And I was surprised. Yeah. I got the t-shirt. It's red. I don't love, but. What can I do? So Rachmanov is a huge welterweight. He's six foot one, seventy-seven inch reach, and uh, he has wins over Alex Oliveira and Michelle Prezeris. So, pretty solid run so far in in his uh, year and a half in the UFC. Especially, Al- I think he won that Alex Oliveira fight. I can't remember if it was short notice or not. Maybe not. But uh, this is just a guy to watch, I think, in the UFC. And he's facing Carlston Harris this weekend. Yeah, I mean, he's fourteen and zero. You can't get better than that now as a, as a prospect. Yeah, it's hard to find undefeated fighters right now as is, especially guys that have wins over quality opponents. If you look down the, the list, I mean, obviously when he first started fighting, he wasn't fighting the best guys, but he was still fighting guys that were, you know, eight and eight, four and one, five and two, thirteen and three. Like these aren't this is this isn't the padded record, is what I'm saying. Yeah, is this uh, more of a grappler striker? More of a striker, striker, but he does have a, a sambo background. Okay. That's a, who was actually explaining to me the other day. They're like, why are these Russians and Kazakhstanian, if that's even the word, I'm, I could be making that up. Kazakh, um, yeah. Why are they so good? 
and and they were like, well, their like national sport is basically a form of MMA, which is sambo, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically striking with throws and takedowns. Where in America, it's either just wrestling or just uh, you know striking based. So it's like they almost learn MMA from the early age. Yeah, I think I, I remember I think where they I heard learn that. in schools too. Like I think you can go to sports schools yeah, where you're like, yeah, as you, a get, kid, you become a stuff. master of sports yeah. in sambo by the time they're you know even teenagers. And you mentioned that being a national sport. Like they're also not playing like football and. You know, it's the different sports that America probably gravitates towards, basketball. I don't think there's ever been a player in the NBA from Kazakhstan. Yeah, well, I would have guys from Russia. But, yeah, I mean, it's just it's exciting. I, I just love that a little small community is just doing so well. Absolutely. Well, I think that this guy is uh, somebody to watch, so keep an eye on uh, Shavkat Rachmanov. Right. Uh, I think the co-main event is Puna Soriano against uh, Nick Maximov. I think Maximov is also undefeated. He's uh, one of the training partners of the Diaz brothers. Hey. So uh, that should be an interesting one. I, Puna, Puna Soriano, I think, is he coming off a loss, if I'm not mistaken? I always just see him in Eric Nixick's videos and clips all the time. Oh, he loves so that sorry. guy. Yeah, it seems like they're very tight. Yeah, he, he lost his first professional fight uh, last year in, in July, and that's his last fight against Brandon Allen, who also just got added to this card in the light heavyweight division against Sam Alvey. I just remember Soriano being that he just waits to throw those bombs. Mm-hmm. It's big, heavy, and just waits for Yeah, no power but i think i don't know with with Eric, they're trying to work setting up those big shots the way he moves the way he can shift his feet a little bit but uh i mean i think every time him, it's just like he's got to be a little bit more intelligent and provide more ways to drop the bomb mm-hmm. and maximov is seven and oh as well uh he had a win on the contender series it was a decision win but he he was supposed to fight a middleweight and then his guy his opponent fell out and they brought in a heavyweight so he moved up to heavyweights just so he could keep a fight because they wanted on short notice he wanted to stay on the contender series so they just grabbed this guy oscar coda who's like an 11 and 2 big heavyweight looked like a truck driver huge guy and uh they brought him on and maximov was able to get the, a unanimous decision win over him but they didn't, I mean, but he didn't but- get a contract out of it but I'm looking at uh, his picture here on the UFC site, and since we talked about Canadians earlier, like, he looks like a between gay, thin, I can see that in the face, and mixed with one of the Laramies. Yeah, I can see that a little bit. I mean, he's a bigger fighter; he's 85er. But I mean, the face structure, little his Jesse neck, Ronson, the big neck, the Laramie, the Laramie neck, neck yeah. yeah, with the Jesse Ronson. Uh, I don't know, big coconut, big mm-hmm. melon. I don't know what you want to call it, but it looks a little bit like both of them. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm, I'll take it. He's, he's yeah. an underdog against Puna Soriano. Interesting fight there. And then uh, they, we've got a bunch of Canadians on the card. I spoke to Malcolm yesterday, nice. one of your uh, your protégés. And, uh, Students? Yeah, he seems like he's uh, he's got his eyes on the prize. He's excited about this one. He seemed to have a good strategy for uh, Denise Bondar, who's making his UFC debut. Yeah, and I mean... Uh, I don't think it's a, a surprise what you'll see from Malcolm. I think it's go in, shoot, use the grappling right away. I don't know much about his opponent, but from uh, I think they were supposed to fight from a while Ukraine. ago. And uh, when I watched a little bit of his opponent, it seemed like he was a very aggressive striker with takedowns. So um, I don't know. It looks like it's uh, a good fight for Malcolm. Yeah, that's what Malcolm said. He says he expects it's got to come out hot and heavy. And uh, yeah. So we'll see how that one that one plays out. Uh, the other Canadians on the card: Alexis Davis, a big favorite over Julia Stolyarenko. Uh, Marc-Andre yeah. Berrio, a small favorite over Chidi and Jokowani, and uh, Hakeem Dawoodoo back in action, a minus 180 favorite over Mike Trezano. Yeah, and I think uh, Chidi's taking this on last uh, quick notice. No, this, I, this, not... this was booked. Really? Yeah, I think okay. so. I think Chidi and Jokowani was uh, expected to have 
I'll take a look just to verify, but he won on the Contender yeah. Series, and I think this was the uh, the bout that they had booked for him. Yeah, because uh, I know yeah, a yeah, friend of that. mine, too, Yeah, who went up in weight. It was definitely out of his weight class for that fight, but... Uh, when uh, Chitty's huge, he's a big know. guy. Chitty's just massive. But I, I just saw recently both of them posting all this UFC stuff, so I just thought it was uh, quicker notice. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't look like there was. Uh, it just looks like it was booked kind of more recently, but I don't think it's a, sh- a quick turnaround or anything like that, like a short notice fight. Hey, what's that? I have to, I have to look. At it's a very small favor for Barrio. He's minus one. That's basically a, almost a pick him, pick him in some places. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm, Chitty didn't look overly great in his contender white, uh, Dana White uh, contenders fight. But let me tell you, he is huge. His Muay Thai is fantastic. He's l- one of the tallest guys I've ever seen for, for a middleweight. Like, just very good, very hard frame, good knees. Like, it's going to be a tough for uh, Mark. How for tall sure. is Chidi? I'm looking him up now. Six foot three. Yeah, that's pretty big for middleweight. He just, his presence, like. Massive, massive. Took him a long time I to get him. in the UFC, surprisingly. A lot of uh, his, he, I think his priority was he didn't even transition much to kickboxing. It was mostly Muay Thai for, and then never really stayed active. He had a, a big fight against Simon Marcus um, in the past. So he's had some big, big fights in in, uh, in his career, but very confident, very tall, based out of Vegas. Um, good lineage of training. Yeah, I always uh, going to support him. Well, Barrio was telling me that uh, basically last year, at the beginning of the year, he sold all of his possessions. He was in Quebec, sold everything that he owned, bought like a camper, and him and his girlfriend, uh, now fiance, got in the camper and just drove to Florida. And just now he lives out of his camper in Florida and trains at Sanford every day. He's a full-time fighter now. He doesn't hey, like nice. have a lot of means. Like he's not he's not trying to like live big. He's trying to live small and just kind of stay focused 100% on fighting and stay hungry by living in a camper. Well, I think that's a smart man. Yeah, so I mean, as we discussed on, uh, it's it was illegal to fight and uh, do and train MMA during our lockdown. So I think uh, Ontario hasn't been favorable to MMA Quebec, fighters. So get up and go. Yeah, get up and go. Yeah. So that's if what, I that's could, there was no bazooka kickboxing. There'd be bazooka kickboxing in Florida for sure. So I'm with you. Yeah. So Barrio is uh, now yeah now living in Florida, and he was the of all the Canadians in the UFC in 2021 was the most successful. It went two and zero. And uh, yep. looks like he's, look, you know, been zeroed in on what he wants to do. And he's also bringing in his old coach and old training partner to help him as well. He hasn't abandoned them or anything along those lines. Yeah, he's going to, I think for him, he's going to have to kind of uh, strike to wrestle. I think that's, uh, especially in the earlier rounds, trying to fatigue Chitty is his best bet. Yeah, I think that's, and that's what Barrio does. That's why he's the power bar. That's his nickname, power bar. It's just, he's got he just so sticks much to you, you know? Yeah. yeah. And uh, if you look at the amount of strikes that he's thrown in his last two fights, it's like over 500. It's like 500 plus significant striking attempts in his last two fights in those wins. So this is a guy who he's going to try to stay on Chidi and Jokowani for the duration of this fight. Uh, kind of a risky thing to do, though, because if you can give if Chidi gets any sort of distance, that's where I think he's going to be difficult to stop. Yeah, I think I have to call you out. I think there was a fourth Canadian you missed. I said four. Did you? I thought you said three. No, yeah. I, I said, said, I said oh, three in my interview one. with Malcolm, and he was like, yeah, I saw Alexis Davis. And I was like, yeah, I forgot about Alexis Davis on the card, but oh, I did mention okay. I, Because I, when you list your list, I, I, I didn't hear you say Hakeem Dawadu. Oh, I said Hakeem Dawadu is back. My minus 180 favorite oh. against Mike Trezano. Okay, wasn't listening. Yeah, so he's. I'm very excited that Hakeem's back. This is a great Me matchup too. for him. Neither guy yeah. is going to go for takedowns. It's going to be a stand-up affair, and uh, that's usually something that favors Hakeem. 
Oh, yeah. I think once you let Hakeem start whipping his low kicks out there and he's not worried to be taken down, you're going to see uh, how good his striking is. His hands are powerful. His kicks are nasty. I still reference one of his earlier fights to all of my fighters. I am one of the since my early career. I mean, you can watch all of my fights when we get it. When I break off from a clinch, you better nine out of ten times. I'm whipping either a low kick or a head kick right off. Of that. And a lot of good knockouts come off of that. So when he got when that, I don't remember who it was. I think it was one of the Korean fighters he fought. He did an exit head kick that was just beautiful. And I still reference it to this yeah, day. It was the Horie, Yoshinori Horie, I believe was his name. Japanese fighter that he beat in Edmonton, I think it was. Edmonton yeah, or Ottawa. Exit head kick off of the clinch. Woo! Mm-hmm. Loved it. Yeah, he's uh, he's someone to watch. I think that Hakeem is probably, in terms of sheer talent, the most talented fighter that Canada has in the UFC right now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we haven't really seen him overly grapple, but he hasn't had to. So, I mean, I think uh, I'm sure it's a, a part of his game that he's constantly developing. Yeah, so we'll see how he looks this weekend. And uh, I mentioned Alexis Davis against Julia Storliarenko. Uh, this is going to take place in the bantamweight division. So, Alexis Davis, I, I don't think she fought in the bantamweight division for a while. Unless her last fight was at bantamweight, I, I don't remember. She was she was at one twenty five for a while. Her last fight was at bantamweight, actually, yeah, against uh, Penny Kianzad. And uh, the event's going to start pretty. I think Malcolm's the first fight, so I have to rush home from the gym because uh, four p.m. Yeah, Malcolm is the first fight, four p.m. You're right. So I'm going to have to so, uh, rush through my show with Dan Tom. They keep opening the cards with the Canadians, like with Jasmine uh, last yeah, weekend, and now we, last, or two yeah. weekends ago, and now we got uh, Malcolm Gordon opening the card. I think I finished the gym around three. It's going to be a quick rush. Otherwise, I'm watching at home. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm driving and watching it. I won't do that. Well, Maybe. You, just, you just plug it into your. You can plug your phone into. So your I can hear it and just listen to it. Like it's like you're but listening I, to the radio. I, I'd want to look for sure. I'd be too into it, <laughs> having known Malcolm pull for over. so long. Just pull over to the yeah. side of the road and watch it on your, on your phone. I'm going to have to. I'm yeah, going to have four o five or four ten to get home. If you're... yeah, the talk they have that little intro and yeah. I got if you're 10 done minutes. at the gym at 3 o'clock, you can get there, right? The gym's only 10 minutes from your place. Depends how much cleanup there is, how many people linger around. I have a trial class booked, so some people like to talk after. But no talking on this Saturday. We're going home to watch fight. Yeah. Just get get, get uh, somebody, get the gym manager to talk to them. That's it. I'll get so my Joe's sister. busy. Get them to just be like your your, your handler. Oh, she is. Oh, yeah. She's my pit bull. That's your, that's your my sister, right? My sister, yeah. She, yeah. she manages the front. Yeah. She's definitely a pit bull. That's yeah. why she's there. <laughs> well, good. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of good matchups on this one. The uh, Julian Rosa, Steven Peterson's uh, solid matchup. Brian Battle against Treshawn Gore. So, do you know the backstory there? No, I don't. So, Brian Battle won the Ultimate Fighter, uh, but was supposed to be facing Treshawn Gore in the finals, but Gore got injured. So, now this is basically a rebooking of the finals matchup. Uh, Battle ended up winning the season, but ended up facing a runner up rather than Treshawn Gore in the finals. Now, this is kind of like the, the uncrowned Ultimate Fighter winner bout. Okay, that sounds all right. Sam Alvey back. You said at Brandon Allen. Yeah, it was like when the aforementioned Mike Trezano faced Luis Pena after the their season of the Ultimate Fighter when Pena got injured during the season. So then they never got to fight, all right? No, they well they did eventually, right? That they, they booked it after the season. They're doing Gore dirty here without a picture here on the website. He's got one on Tapology here, so. Oh, the UFC site needs a picture. Well, he hasn't fought before. See, if you haven't fought in the UFC before, do, do they have one for you don't Dennis get a Bondar? Picture? Well, because they do all their photography. Uh, no, I don't house. think they have one for Bondar. Yeah, so if you're That's the like the initiation? They, they'll probably have it by the day of the fight because they take pictures like during fight week. Uh, yeah, no, Bondar doesn't have one either. All right. Yeah, so they catalog okay. them. So it's not... Earn your stripes. Yeah. That's it. Earn them. I'm sure Maximov 
Actually, Maximov has fought in the UFC before, so he he probably has one. Now, have you done your TSN picks? Are we at that? I point have. Yet? Yeah, yeah. I did them Tuesday actually, so I got them in pretty early. All right. I need I need some help here on this week. All right. So I took Hermanson inside the distance. I think it's now plus four fifty. It was plus three fifty when I picked it. So I think you're getting even more value. Let me see what what it's at. Uh, let me take a take a peek here. Best fight odds is all over the place this week. They separated the card into like two parts for some reason. So uh, Hermanson inside the distance is plus, yeah, we can get for plus 375, plus 330. So in that range, I guess it went down again. But uh, I like Hermanson inside the distance. Um, I did a parlay of Shavkat, Rachmanov, and Hakeem Dawadu. It was around plus 130. That's not bad, yeah. I, I like that. I did a three-leg parlay of over one and a half rounds for uh, Alexis Davis versus Stoliarenko. For, What's that pay out? It only pays out like like plus one oh five or okay. something. Oh, that's still not bad. It's over one and a half for Davis Dolyarenko, over one and a half Dawadu and Trezano, and over one and a half in how was the third the third leg? I like the over one and a half prop. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, so I parlayed it for three different fights. You have to go on the website for the third one because I can't remember offhand what a, oh ah uh, that would do Trezano. Yeah, I can't remember offhand what the third one was. But uh, so that was the three leg parlay, and um, who else did I take? Oh, I think it was uh, was it Barrio and, and Jaquani? Maybe is the third the third leg of that? Maybe uh, over one and a half. Yeah, over one and a half. And then I took yeah, I see that over one and a half. I took for sure. Two underdogs that just I thought had a lot of good value. One is Danilo Marquez, who's plus three twenty. I thought that there was some good value there, and uh, just, the, just a straight up win. Yeah, just a straight up win. And Steven Peterson at plus two forty five, I thought had good value against Julian Rosa. Underdog. So, right. two underdog plays. The reason for the Marquez pick is when you get these guys, like Jelton Almeida was on uh, the Contender Series. I don't like when Contender Series fighters do well on the Contender Series and then debut as big favorites in the UFC against actual UFC competition. Like, I feel yeah, like we're, yeah. we're missing something here. Like, he shouldn't be... He was an underdog in his Contender Series fight, if I'm not mistaken. And now he's fighting in the UFC against an established UFC guy and is a minus 425 favorite. Like, to me, that just doesn't make any sense. And Danilo Marquez, I know, is a good fighter. I think he trains at King's MMA. It's like just a solid fighter. Jeez. And who's, uh, I think Malcolm again is one of the bigger underdogs. Plus 225, yeah. Yeah. I try not to take, like, like when Charles Jordan's an underdog and Malcolm's an underdog. Like, I like these guys a lot, and I just. I, I don't feel comfortable picking them because I know that I'm I'm not looking at it clearly. I'm not like looking at it with clear eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, me too. I have to stay away from those ones usually yeah. too. I'm glad we're on the same page there. So those were my TSN edge picks. Uh, my, I also threw a dart. Uh, Miles Johns wins in round three with plus fourteen hundred. So I threw a dart on that. His last two wins have come in round three. So let's keep that train rolling. Right. Yeah, round threes are tough finishes. I was a round three finisher. Mm-hmm. Well, I was. A, told I me was. Back uh, then. We're taking a round three prop and kickboxing. Oh, I'm a round three finisher. <laughs> yeah. You know what it is? It's because of my low kicks. It Sometimes it took uh, took the usually beginning of the third round. By the second, end of the second, they're usually not walking in the finish. Were there odds on your uh, on your fights? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so at that time. That or I never was never really did, but I'm curious to see. Would you want to know if I could find odds for some of your fights? Sure. Or not, there, there were odds. I would think I'd be a big underdog in most of them. Oh, here we go. Let's see. This is MMA Oddsbreaker Glory 17 opening odds. Let's see what we can see what we got here. Against the Bont, I've probably been uh, probably close to a pick'em. I would think, or I'd be a small, maybe. I'm gonna let you guess the odds of your own fight against Mark. My DeBont. own fight against. <laughs> Dupont had a hundred professional fights, my fourteen, but I think it was North American, but they knew how good it was. I'm gonna go. I was, uh, I'm gonna 
even money. Say you have minus one ten me. Minus one fifty five. Oh, that was a big. I was a one and a. Okay, not bad. Yeah. So they're, they're, people believed in me. They did. That's it. I'm trying to think, see if there's any other ones. Let's see if I can find some more, some more historical odds for a Bazooka Joe. Mm, yeah, I don't know. Like Kickboxing. Uh, I mean, most of it's based in Europe, but uh, when I was competing, at least it was more popular in North America. Yeah, that's uh, that's the only one I can find. So shout out to uh, MMA Oddsbreaker for uh, having. Glory oh, seventeen go. odds. What were, what were the other cards you were on? Give me give me some more cards. Uh, I was on Glory six nine eleven thirteen. Hey, Glory six opening betting odds. Let's see. Were you on like the main card of this one? Uh, I should have been yes because I fought their hero. Hmm, no odds for you on this one. No. Give me another one. Uh, I was Glory nine against Francois Ambang. I should have been a favorite in that one. Mm, no Glory nine odds. Glory 13 then would have been the tournament. Glory 13 odds. Because I would have fought Ray Daniels and Nikki Holtzkin that night. Let's see. Glory 13 odds. And this was in Japan, so maybe not. No, no odds. And that's it. That's it. Those, those, the one odds that are out was a minus 155. Good. Yeah, there you go. You've only ever been favored in fights. That's it, yeah. <laughs> Before Glory, I was, honestly, I, I was mostly an underdog, but... I'll take that. I like the 155. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are good. I would have taken those odds. Yeah. I watched yeah. your fight with Mark DeBond at a, at a Run the Jewels concert. Okay. It was like before the band went on. I went, went to the very back. I, had, I pulled it up it on my It was live? And I watched it live, yeah. Oh. And then it, like it, it timed out perfectly. Like As soon as your fight ended, the band came on. Hey, that's pretty cool. I call them a band, the, the group. Yeah, I didn't know you were watching kickboxing back then. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been watching Glory for a long time. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that. Jeez. I watched so your fight with Hol- I watched your fight with Holskin live. Like I watched and I used to record them and watch them like I used to PVR them and watch them the next day when they were on late. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz they used to be uh on a different network. Was on I don't Access know. Access for... TV? Uh Fight Net. We're on the Fight Network. The Fight Network. Okay. So yeah, I used to record on Fight Network and I'd go back and watch them. Yeah, because even in the old school days, that's when when I would fight, I'd go into studio with Robin Black and John Ramdeen and do little segments with them in the studio. Mm-hmm. So that's where I first met Robin Black, and I even went on Robin. They had a even podcast I'd go on with John Ramdeen, and yeah, it was the we evolved since then. Yeah, I just remember it was a big deal in my. Oops, I lost you there. You got me. Yep, I hear you. You got me now. I can oh, hear sorry. you. My, my Siri came up. And uh, oh. threw me off um, on on my computer, which rarely happens. I must have clicked on the wrong thing. But uh, yeah, I, I just remember thinking it was a big deal that a Canadian was going to win like a big kickboxing championship. That's pretty cool. That's very cool. Because I would have been watching everything too, but I wasn't sure who was watching back then. I think I'd met you prior. I booked you on Off the Record, so I think I'd met you. Oh, that's right. Then. Yes, yeah. that's when we first met. Okay. And that, you were that... you you emailed us to be on the show, which was great. Like I loved it when people did that. When people like would care enough about their brand to reach out and be like hey you can like this is here's why you should have me on your show and i was like Great, and it was sure. funny because uh i i definitely didn't know sports and uh i know martial arts and fighting well but i was asked last minute to be on because it wasn't pre-planned or something so you're like oh do you want to jump in studio now and i was like uh okay so <laughs> i spoke to costa and i was like what's going on in the sports world right now so i called all of my sports friends i'm like tell me all the topics and they were just listing things to me just so i could have some <laughs> form of conversation 
Yeah, that was a tough one for yeah, me. Yeah, there you go. Now that's a real challenge for you. Last minute talking about something Sheet. that's not an area of expertise. About, it was about hockey, and I was like, of all things, hockey too. I was like, oh boy. <laughs> I was like, I didn't want to say no to you guys, but at that point, I was like, I, I got to do it. And you're on national that's, TV, right? That's it. And we actually did um, smelling salts on that episode. Oh, okay, cool. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. He this, I guess, uh, Michael Landsberg wanted to kind of show if you can take the salts, and we all sniffed it on the show. Have you ever done that before or after that? No, that was my first time. It burnt. <laughs> it definitely burnt. Yeah, it doesn't sound I like should one. probably bring it back. Some of my big lifts it may help. What, what, smelling salts? Yeah, that's what the big body uh, power lifters do. Before the big lifts, they smell it, they get that little kick, and then they just smash the weights. Is that what it does? It just kind of wakes you up? It like goes into your eyes kind of thing? Yeah, like it just wakes you up and it just burns. Yeah, see, I, Maybe not, we got to get not, some not, and you got to do it on the show. It's oh, a hard pass for me. Actually, I wouldn't nope. care. I'd probably try it out. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah, I don't think that harmful. It can't be helpful, but I can't see it being that harmful. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else we should touch on. Have, do you, did you listen to Jake Paul's interview on Helwani's show? Uh, briefly. Do you think... It was background. Do you think that he's being sincere with his, like, his quest to help the fighters improve fighter pay? I think it's just publicity. I think it's death publicity. I think he's just found the market. He's trying to um, irritate Dana White with his music videos, and he's just trying to get under Dana's skin. And I think uh, I think it's almost working a little bit. I think fighters are kind of supporting him a little bit more. Um, but I think he's just doing it to his own brand. Well, he kind of acknowledged that in the interview, which I thought was at least refreshing. He said, like, I know this is going to help me, but it's also going to help the fighters. Like, It's, it's kind of like... He knows that it's kind of one of those things that, I don't know. I mean, New York Rick, after the segment, who you're very familiar with, Eric Jackson, yeah. was yeah, talking about friend. how um, he is very skeptical of it and thinks that, like, if it didn't benefit Jake Paul at all anymore, he would just, he, he wouldn't care about it. He'd stop doing it. Of course. It. Yeah. No, that's the way I see it. But I don't add what he's doing, to be honest. I think it's uh, bringing light to it. I think a lot of. And it's weird because, I mean, I've been part of this for so many years now that, like, people see you on TV fighting, they automatically assume you're making millions of dollars, you know? <laughs> it's like, oh, he's got to be making millions. And and you're like, ah, it doesn't really work that way. But it's just, it's, even as a kid, when you see someone on TV, you assume they're this billionaire, rich fighters. It's like, that's not the case at all. So I think his platform is just letting more people know because I think the small community of fighters and the people around it know but the average fan doesn't know they they're assuming they're making good money so i think he's just bringing light to it well i'll give him credit for one thing um you know a lot of people think i'm this anti-jake paul guy i just i just want to see receipts that's all like you know he says oh this, you know we bought shares in endeavor and we're doing yeah, like, well, yeah. let, let me like explain to me why this is going to help fighter pay and not just be a publicity stunt but i'll give him credit for one thing amanda serrano facing katie taylor at msg like oh, big yeah. msg that doesn't happen without jake paul yeah, and I agree with you. That's huge. Yeah. That's the best fight in women's boxing history, right? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily the biggest fight in terms of, like, I wouldn't really know. I'm not the right person to answer that, but in terms of the stage, I think yeah. it's the biggest stage that women's boxing has ever had. Yeah, I mean, you watch all of Clarissa Shields' fights. They're in, like, little smaller venues and stuff like that. You don't see a huge, you know, arena. To have these girls headlining the card like that, it's fantastic. And if I'm Clarissa Shields, I'm trying to get on that card, like... 
She hates that though, because her she talking about ego back in the show. She right. doesn't. She will not allow that. I mean, well, she says I will she, not be on. She this, says she won't know? be on the undercard of a Jake Paul card. But if it's like but a it's women's still boxing a Jake card, Paul. but isn't Jake Paul still promoter of it? He's, well, yeah. I mean, he's a co-promoter, he's but he's not. He's not boxing it, right? on it. Like I think. She, I think her hesitation is being on an undercard of like one of his fights. Yeah, I just think still she's too proud to do that, just because Ash with with Jake Paul. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, she certainly would have to swallow some pride in order to just be on a card that's co-promoted. Yeah, well, I think it would be great to see her perform like that. But in her mind, remember, she's the greatest. She's better than both of those, right? Mm-hmm. That's what makes her great, too. In her mind, she's better than Serrano. She's better than, you know, everybody in the world. Now, did you uh, watch Eagle FC or uh, Bellator this past weekend? I actually watched more of the Eagle FC. Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, one I knew a kid from Glory on the undercard, Dylan Salvador, ended up doing good and getting a win. I saw so that I watched fight. that, yeah, and yeah. he looked good. He did great. Mm-hmm. He he kind of had a tr- tough first round, getting taken down and the grappling. His low kicks, bang, bang, finished his leg. Couldn't take him anymore. To see him fight, and then uh, Tyrone Spong. How can I not want to see Spong right. fight in I've just mauled him in that fight. Yeah, I didn't like. He's too big. And like, you mean, we know Spong's a great boxer, but Karatana, his big size and just a little jab was enough to kind of take Spong off of his game. It's just way too big, way too. I should have, it would have been nicer to see Spong fight someone a little bit smaller. And, yeah, I was surprised know, Spong wasn't realistic. a bigger favorite in that fight. Like, I thought Spong was going to finish him early. Yeah, so did I. I mean, he didn't really let any of his big chips go either. Know. You know, we didn't even see him crack Karatana once. Yeah. So uh, I watched most of the card, and I found out during that card that my grandmother passed away. So I, I oh, missed, a, I missed a little bit of it to talk to family members and, and all that. So uh, I, I Sorry, buddy. got to watch a good amount of that card. Yeah, no, I, she was 91 years old. You know, It doesn't make it any easier, That's, but oh. lived a great life. Uh, my grandmother's 94, I think 93, and it's still, no, it's still sad. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I watched that card, and then the next night I watched Bellator. Did you watch the heavyweight title fight? Uh, I just watched the main yeah. event on the Bellator. So the one yeah. thing I thought they did a really good job of on that broadcast was Big John was uh, doing the color commentary, and he did a really succinct job of explaining why Bader won the fifth round based on the criteria. Yeah. Um, and to see every judge give Bader the fifth round I thought was really refreshing because I think that to the untrained eye, that looks like a Moldovsky round because Moldovsky took him down and had control for a lot of that round, but the damage was clearly on the Bader side. Yeah, I just I'm always impressed just seeing him like like how he still did, and he seems to be better at heavy. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, the way he moves, his size, and I just think uh, he's definitely something special. He might be one of the best to um, have left the UFC to do something bigger in other organizations. Yeah, I mean, he became right? a two division champion in Bellator, right? So I, I think he's probably at the top of that list. Yeah, I, I've been trying to think of somebody who could have done in another organization, but. Now, Czech Congo, he's facing next is one guy that's done a lot <laughs> since uh, his UFC career. I, I don't even want to know how, che- how old Czech Congo is. I have to say that too. Well, l- let, me, let me ask you a question. Who do you think is older, Czech Congo or Fedor? Who's older? I just think Czech Congo has this nice skin, doesn't age at all. I'm going to go Czech being older. Czech Congo is 46 years old. Jeez, And he's fighting man. for the heavyweight championship in Bellator. And he looks like he's in Paris. Yeah. The oldest active fighter? Who's older than him? He's got to be up there. At least at a very competitive level. Jeez, come on. How old is Verdum? Verdum's probably like 44. Yeah, probably. 
I can't believe he is 46 years 46. old. So here's a Damn. So on his 20th birthday, Jillian Robertson was born. So like Czech Congo turned 20 and Jillian Robertson was born that day. That's how old he was. <laughs> if you want to like put it wow. in perspective. Jeez. <laughs> and he's been everywhere. It seems like he's been with the Bellator for at least 10, 15 years I now. I would say 10 before. years probably, yeah. And, and how long was he with the UFC yeah, probably for? Probably close to that too. Like, I don't know, yeah. seven, eight years. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's been around I for can't a long time. It. He is definitely one of the longest, most active fighters I've ever seen. See, I would have gone with Bader versus Fedor as the next fight. You know, like Fedor just beat Timothy Johnson. He's there cage side. His, his protege just gets beaten by Bader. Like, make that fight. But I guess they want to have a headlining fight in Paris, and that's why they have Czech Congo, you know, compete for the title. But to me, I, you, you just gave up a way bigger fight. Yeah, yeah. The storyline built everything. That said, if Congo wins and he faces Fedor after that, talking about like a combined age of like 92. Yeah. But then again, what's surprising, you'll see someone like Paul Daly, 36, is I think 38, retire. Yeah. And then you see Czech Congo, 46, still, still going. going. It's He's insane. Up. He's also winning a lot. Like he had like a six or seven fight win streak recently. You're talking who, Paul Daly? No, Czech Congo. Oh, Czech Congo. Yeah. Like Czech Congo's winning fights. He had one split decision loss. I think in his last like eight fights, he has one no contest because the eye poke with Bader, and like one split decision loss. And like his last ten fights or something crazy like that. Like he's he's still having a lot of success in MMA. Yeah. Well, he's big, tall, great shape, creative, very good high fight yeah. IQ, creative, good at stuffing takedowns. You know, Czech Congo's always been a solid fighter, but. I would have gone Bader, Bader versus Fedor rematch, even though Bader starts them the first time. And you got to think his his epic fight, one of the craziest with Pat Barry. Oh yeah, that's probably a decade ago. Oh, at least. That's insane to think, man. Wow. That is one it's of the pro- all time great fights, though. Oh, for me, yeah. I mean, I always have to reference that one too because it's like always be patient. You think you're someone's hurt? Don't start opening up and get crazy and just. Stick to it. Stay technical. I'm like still, I still yell stop the fight when I watch that with like Barry pouncing on him. I'm like stop the fight. Yeah. Like, there's no way he's like – and then Congo yep. comes back. Like it's just Great. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable fight. Yeah, no. It's Czech Congo. Can't believe it. So insane. So one last uh, thing I'd like to talk about was I was part of a meeting this week with – I think it's the EAAA. It's like a European mixed martial arts uh, – they're in charge of the officiating and judging. And I was invited to a meeting just to watch them kind of rejudge rounds. They'd watch like some, some contentious rounds. They all gave their scorecard and explained why. It was just really cool to see from the perspective of somebody in the media covering the sport, like how hmm. seriously these officials take it and like how they like to explain and debate the, the, their scorecards and things like that. I just found it very fascinating. How did you get onto something like that? Is it just being invited on like a like a set, like a Zoom call kind of thing? Or? Yeah, it was a Zoom call, and somebody asked me if I wanted to join and then take part in it. I said, "Yeah, sure, that sounds awesome." Did you score the fight while they were watching yeah. too, kind of mm-hmm. thing? Yeah. Okay. And I was asked to explain one of my scorecards, and the judge, the judge who explained it right before me, was I said like basically their explanation is exactly what I would have said. Like it's you know. yeah. Did you learn anything from it? Like was something like well, you know, like. Did you take like a one go home takeaway point? Well, I think that the most important point is that all these people are still trained based on the same criteria, but they value different things, right? Like you still saw some judges score things differently. Some scored one round of ten eight, and the same people scored it a ten nine. Why did you score it a ten eight versus a ten nine? And why did you score it a ten nine versus a ten eight? Like there's still we always have to remember that there's human error involved. It's not even human error, but there's just human beings involved in this that have to make these decisions on the fly they 
are seeing different angles of the cage. They're hearing different things, seeing different things. Like if you yep. if you're you have a fighter whose back is to you, and they take a, a headshot, and one judge sees like their eyes roll into the back of their head a little bit, and the other judge sees their back, like they're not yeah. all seeing the same thing from the same vantage point, right? Yeah. And, and also in a weird way too, and it's like when they always reference like oh. Because my one point is it's like sometimes like the judges, why it benefits to have martial arts and fight experience sometimes is because it's like sometimes you'll see a shot land and like you'll be like you'll think it's a lot more damaging than it actually is sometimes. Or it's kind of like, nah, that wasn't that bad of a shot. Like if I'm watching fights with friends who've never watched uh, been in a fight, they, they see it's like, oh, ow, oh, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, that body kick must have broken. It's like that's a soft a little 20 percent <laughs> body kick. That yeah. was a block. What do you mean? He, he blocked it with a shin. He's blocked shins like so sometimes that little bit of just knowing violence a little bit helps and most of the judges are trained like that's the, another thing is most of them are trained in martial arts and have competed in some form or fashion whether it's grappling or or stand-up at some point in their life yeah yeah i think you if you're interested in to wanting to get into that as a, as a profession i would hope so yeah so uh, just just interesting to see how uh because they, they didn't take rounds that were easy to score, of course. They took some rounds. Two of the rounds were ones where you had to kind of determine if it was a 10-8 or 10-9, and then two of them were just really close rounds. Yeah. I still think the biggest confusion is takedown still, how much value is placed on a take. And if you get to take, do nothing. You know, I still think that's where the, the biggest confusion happens. Well, I was talking to a judge about the Gone and Francis fight, and I said, like, round five probably should have been Gone's round. Like if I was a judge, I might have to I might have to score that for gone and just throw my phone into a, into the nearby river and like skip town because like based on the criteria, you could make a, a case that gone won the fifth round because he was the only one landing anything. Like Francis controlled him a just lot. Lang, yeah. He landed like double the amount of strikes, if I believe, than Francis. He sh he he sh went for a knee bar, which is effective grappling. Yeah, you're trying to win. Right? So yeah. like these are things that you kind of have to factor in when you're scoring a round. But if 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 the judges would have scored that ten nine gone, there would have been riots. Like, and I think yeah. that they have to like they probably consider that because they're human beings. Like they have to consider like what are the repercussions of me doing this, even though it's probably the right thing to do, but the yeah. perception is blank. Hate it. I would. I don't. I think I've only judged fights once or twice in my life, and I didn't that much. Mm -hmm. I didn't. Didn't love, yeah. I mean, I get it why, you know, it's it's good, but it's just, you know, I didn't love it. It's it's difficult. I, I mean, I, I still to this day, and I mean, you probably guarantee you, you know the rules better than probably 95% of the UFC roster, Yeah. if not more. It's, it's I guarantee fighters don't know true. the rules. Yeah. I'll tell you right now, if you talk, how much do you know of the rules? And the, they'll tell you the general stuff, but they're like, you go, you dominate, you win. Well, at you least know, of the criteria, the, yeah, for sure. Like you know, the, the illegal strikes, but, but with the scoring criteria, I guarantee you the fighters don't know the details. That's a problem, though. I think that's a big problem. It's like if you were a basketball player. My wife brings this up sometimes. She goes, "It's like if you were played basketball and you didn't realize that you could shoot three pointers. Like you didn't realize that you scored more points from shooting from a certain area on the court." Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a real answer. But yeah, with I'm, I'm about the detail stuff, though. You know, like mm. I don't know. I mean, I don't think fighters are old school. My and like you get a knockout you win you yeah, know right. you pressure you hit yeah. win I, I mean i think fighters keep it more simple than uh, the scoring actually has it yeah and i think a lot of fighters don't go into fights thinking they're gonna have it go to the scorecards right like yeah you know more hit them harder make 
bleed, you don't bleed, you know, hit and not get hit. That's all you need to know. One thing that I really have realized throughout this kind of journey into learning a little bit more about the criteria is that there's a massive disconnect between the media and the fans and the judges. Like, I think that the, 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 the fans don't respect media or judges. And I think that the media don't respect the judges and the judges don't respect media. So I think that the more media members that actually take the time to learn the criteria and actually learn to empathize with what a judge actually has to do on the night of a fight, I think that, I think that you, there would be a lot more of a mutual respect between the two professions. I would think so. I think it's like you said, it's always opinion. So everyone with a difference of opinion is going to defend their side a little bit more. But I think like what you're doing now, I think it should be almost mandatory for your job. Like your tweets, your you take your job seriously and your tweets are, you know, public and national television. So it's like you have to be educated because your words are being everybody. So, I mean, you're work to make sure you're scoring it properly and i think that's if you're going to be that person to to post it at least be educated on it yeah i agree with you and uh and i think the fans it would help them i think it would help if the ufc kind of explained it a little bit better too and if, and that's why i think big john being on the commentary team for bellator is actually a huge asset because he does a really good job of explaining the criteria and explaining yep. why why people like if you're watching at home and Big John doesn't explain why Bader won the fifth round. You might be really surprised that Bader wins that fight by unanimous yeah. decision. Because yeah. I thought yeah. every round I, was very clear in that fight. Yeah, I still think that uh, almost puts a little bit more pressure on Big John because, because of his experience. That like when he's on broadcast and he's talking about, you know, when Morrow's asking him who he thinks win and won or lost, and it's like they like look at his words so valuable. Like, well, Big John said, you know, and then they. There's always going to be that knowing how much Big John knows. But I think that Big John would also um, clarify that he's focused on calling the fights, whereas oh, the yeah. judges are focused on judging the fights. Yeah. You to the fighter, though, who he picked against, you know, they don't care that. Right. They don't care. Yeah. I've lost too many friends in the sport having to give. There's a lot of times when the fight, it's so funny, though. Like, the fight will be so close, and Todd sometimes we'll ask, Joe, who do you think will win? I'll write down sometimes, like, don't ask me. Don't ask me who you think won, because mm-hmm. I'm going to just deflect the answer, because I don't know. Yeah. And then you don't want to hear it. The fans don't want to hear it. So I'd write down, don't ask me. Don't <laughs> ask me. Or I'll look at him, and I'll give him the finger skit, because it's like, you're making me pick when I don't know, you know? And I didn't focus on it enough, and I don't want to kind of one side... Because I, I, I didn't watch it perfectly like but that. But you could say, well, I guess it depends on what the judges value. If they're looking for, you know, the aggression. No, I always do that. Uh, yeah. But he's always like, Joe, pick a side, man. Like, it's not always like they want to hear your opinion. Not like you jumping in and being, you know, that's what they kind of say makes a, a commentator just giving the what I feel. Is there a written criteria for how to score kickboxing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, do you, know, have, do you uh, know it well? Like. Um, it's, a, a, it's basically five things that we look for. So it's like, first one is knockdowns. So yeah, it's, um, knockdowns is number one. You can't lose around with knockdowns. Then you go with most damage who did the most damage. So knockdowns damage. Then they do clean scoring strikes with an emphasis on spectacular techniques. So they want to see spin kicks, kicks really? to the yeah. head, spectacular offense scores more regular offense. So regular is four and then number is aggression okay so it's there so they value you knockouts you got a knockdown or knockout you win in to do more damage pretty simple so 
a lot of times we've had like some guy, for example, just throw a jab and maybe land the jab, but he ate like 30 low kicks and the low kicks started adding up. Then you kind of the damage, then the scoring and then regular aggression. So uh, kickball is all for action. It's okay. like you, you want to win. It's nine minutes. Go. If you're going to wait, move around, you're not. It's it's made for the sprint, you know, where the hundred meter of combat sports. I can see now why you enjoy doing the sport so much. It seems to like align with how you approach these things. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> you have to. Aggression, damage, knockouts, you know, tacular stuff. Heck yeah. So, yeah, kickboxing was always made for um, for action, right? That's why a lot of times they don't want Muay Thai fighters in kickboxing because they're always like, oh, they're going to clinch. It's going to slow down the fight. That we have a clinch rule, right? Break the clinch. You you get you clinch to get a point deducted. We don't want clinching. We don't want grabbing. Right. Well, one round that we looked at at this meeting is actually an interesting one. When you talk about this kind of uh, thing, it was the first round of Rob Font versus Aldo. Do you have that fresh in your head at all? Do you remember how that um, round went? Not so much, basically, but maybe if you describe. Basically, Font won the first four minutes and a half of that round, and then in the last thirty seconds, Aldo shot. hit him with a big shot. He stu- he stumbled him, knocked him down and then finish the round on top, yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, we had to talk about, you know, one, one thing that the judges were saying is like, what happens if that exchange happened at the first 30 seconds of the round and then that guy bounced back and won the, the last four and a half minutes? Like, the difference there is with a round ending, you, you can almost try to guess what's going to happen next, right? Like, you almost yeah. have to use your imagination and think, would he have gotten to finish if there was another 30 seconds in this fight, right? Which he very well may not have. But but most people gave it to Font. Most people gave it to Aldo, I think, because of the yeah. Who because did you score that one? I, don't I, I remember. gave it to Aldo, on on fight night. Okay. And okay. the reason why is because I thought that while Font was landing a lot more volume, that none of the shots were particularly that damaging. Like he landed a couple of good body shots, but none of them did even the cumulative damage of like just that last barrage. Oh, big of Aldo. shot. Hmm. Yeah, that's all something. Yeah. Makes sense. Like if you take someone down and you lay on top of them for four minutes and then it stands up and I land three, four shots that kind of hurts you. I mean, I should, I don't know. You would Who win wins that, that round? You would win that round if that person isn't doing a lot of work from top. But but on top of holding me down, that's considered effective grappling, no? No, it's not. Four, no? It's not considered effective grappling. To hold grappling. someone down, it should be. No, effective. That's hard to hold someone down. Not what, uh, not what uh, classifies as effective grappling. Yeah. See? Good question. But I think, that, I think, I think a lot of the fighters don't know what effective grappling means. I think you being able to keep somebody on the ground is pretty effective grappling to me. It's effective if in If you doing can't what? get up and I hold you down for four minutes, that's It's effective, effective in, the, in the secondary tier of scoring, which is almost never used, which is control. Like, control is like the second, you know, that's yeah. the second tier, which like 99.9% of the time you wouldn't use Doesn't unless get the there fight anyways. was completely even. Yeah. See, I need. Yeah. That's why I'm asking questions. I like it. So, like, if technically, if a fighter wins, like, three big shots on the feet to start a round, slips, the other fighter lays on top of them for the rest of the round and doesn't land anything, and even if they're just adva- even if they're advancing position, but they're not landing any damage, not landing anything, the person that landed the three shots at the beginning of the round should technically win that round. Should te- hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm going to get you to send me some resources, like a, a Cole's Notes of MMA. I'm sure I can Google that quick. I'm sure it's on, like, Wikipedia. Just read the criteria. The criteria is, like, two pages. Yeah. Done. Mm. All right. Cool. Well, Joe, thanks for this. Appreciate you. All right. We'll be back next week. We're going to preview UFC 271, recap UFC Fight Night Hermanson versus Strickland, and uh, we'll see you all then. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. 
For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.